Ah, we are live. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I am one of your co-hosts, Blake Rafino, and alongside me is the front runner himself. Oh, stop! With his Patrick Mahomes jersey. How's it going tonight, front runner? Uh, doing great. I am not a front runner. I own I own two NFL jerseys, and it just so happened one of the ones. This is just pure randomness that I own this because it was a cool jersey. I thought it was a great day to wear it to the office. Great day to wear it on the show. So. I think it's fully appropriate now that he's won his second Super Bowl, his second MVP, his second Super Bowl MVP. He's on track to be one of the greatest of all time. Fully appropriate. Okay, well, I agree with you. Patrick Mahomes is. Um, but I will admit that Sean Payton and company really screwed up because they traded up to draft Pat Mahomes, and, and here came the Kansas City Chiefs. Mm. Um, my life will forever be ruined now. Thank you, Sean <laughs> Payton. And now Sean Payton's got to go up against uh, that man, but what a what a NFL script Roger Goodell and company came up with, and absolutely blowing it. Well, we might at the end be able to talk about that, but what a absolute blown call. You know, quickly though, Joe. Yeah. When running backs come out for screens, okay, and a defensive line holds them behind the line of scrimmage, and you don't call holding, right? Okay, I have a massive problem with you calling holding on a wide receiver that's behind the line of scrimmage on third down, and obviously if you throw the flag, then Kansas City is going to get a first down and, and more than likely win the game. You can't make that call. I'm sorry. You just can't. You can't. No, you can't make that call. Look, if you're not going to call it when a running back goes out on a screen, yeah, it's in the backfield. Juju Smith-Schuster should not have gotten the holding call on him. That's where I sit. Look, I, I don't disagree that there were, were not a lot of inconsistencies with the officiating in this game because you know you get the Dallas Goddard play where that was ruled a catch and then the Miles Sanders play where it could have been a fumble that one was ruled not a catch I, I think that there are a lot well, of discrepancies Devonta Smith. There. Devonta Smith I mean they say he's bobbling right. but I mean what's control I, I look as much as I I think we could sit here and do the oh the you know these these calls were were unfair they were inconsistent i think the better way of looking at it is that there was just so much th there were so many plays where it came down to one way or the other i don't think that there necessarily were a lot of instances where it was blatantly correct or incorrect and i think that holding play came down to that too like that needs to be acknowledged that james bradbury said it doesn't matter what he says but he said in the locker room afterwards that he held him it doesn't matter it doesn't matter you, what he says guys get away with it all the time i understand that but i think it was a lot of instances in this game where it could have come down to either way and that happened to be one of those plays and they decided to call it maybe they shouldn't have but it was a really difficult game to officiate that at, needs to be stated. at minimum they should have come together because I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I just don't like it when you pick and choose. The Super Bowl last year ended on a play very similar. Yeah. Uh, and, and the Bengals would wind up losing. I blame Roger Goodell. Uh, and, and then he goes and hugs Chris Jones at the end of the game. And Chris Jones bear hugs him and picks him up. And they're having a lolly good time. Oh, Roger Goodell. You know, I just I, I you think, think that was absolutely. scripted. You you think that that was the uh, the scripted outcome of the season? <laughs> yes, I do. Yes, I do. I, I you can't convince me that there's not some script. Like you 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 at this point you just can't. Blake, all that that's the most important thing though. I am just so happy that Philly didn't get a championship. The F Philly fans are the worst people. Are just the the worst people on this planet. Says the I did Giants fan. Uh, we're we're a lot we're not as bad as philly fans we're not as bad um, as philly fans. come on worse. no stop it stop it that you know that that's not true they booed Dak, who was up there for the man of the year the walter payton man uh, of the year they booed yeah. him for being a, a charitable reasons that that's uh, obnoxious i don't know those are just bad people that's all that matters I mean, the Giants made Tom Coughlin stay longer than he needed to be. The man was turning purple on the sidelines. Damn near, <laughs> you know, kill himself because yeah. he's so old. He was turning purple in the New York snow. So spare me. All right. Eh, it is what it is. Let's get to some college football, though. Joe, a lot to get into here tonight. Uh, Texas and Oklahoma is joining the SEC in 2024 a year earlier than scripted. Speaking of scripts, uh, the Big 12 <laughs> will um, get $100 million for the exit of both programs. 
I think it's beneficial for both programs. If you're going to leave, the Big 12 obviously gets $100 million when they could have gotten zero. Uh, Joe, let's add on to that. Playoffs 2024 might be the wildest college football season that we've ever seen. We'll have to wait yeah. uh, for that to play out. But the playoffs also do start in 2024. Uh, Notre Dame narrows down their choices for the next offensive coordinator. I think that you're going to be pretty angry about that. It seems like you're already starting to be pretty angry. What? You're starting to yell at me already tonight. You're yelling at me too, man. Come on. What are we? <laughs> uh, I mean, it's just my natural Italian uh, Louisiana voice. This is true. Anywho, and then we'll get to hashtag ask us. So any questions, thoughts, concerns, put inside the comments, hashtag ask us. We'll start and then we'll come to it uh, at the end of the show. So, uh, Joe, a lot to get into here tonight. I say we do this. Let's take our very first break. Let's not stay long because we got a lot to talk about yes, with Texas and Oklahoma. Let's talk about our good friends, though. So glad they're with us. Good friends over betonline.ag. We'll return back in 45 seconds. Talk some SEC football. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way for you to wager on all of your favorite sports, contests, events, with the first-to-market odds in lines. Find reviews for all the news for each league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, college sports, esports, and even golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all of your sports information for live in-game betting props and futures. Head on over to BetOnline today and use your mobile device to join and make your first sports bet. Use our promo code BELIEVE50, that's BELIEVE50, B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's BetOnline.ag, BetOnline.ag. We're back! That drop, man, every time. Well, I mean... It's be juiced up. Texas is coming into the SEC, so it's only... It's only fair that we play Sam Elliger saying we're back and then the following season getting their absolute teeth kicked in. I think that that's absolutely fair. No, it is. And again, every time you play it, I think it's one of the, it's probably the best drop we have on the show. Uh, it gets me very excited. What do you think is better? I knew that that was, you were going to play that. That one, that one's pretty good too. I like that one. I like that one. <laughs> this is my son's favorite one. Play it. He, every time he hears that, he goes, Daddy, it's spooky. <laughs> uh, anyway, so, Joe, we got a lot to talk about, so let's not waste any time in doing so. Listen, I know that I get labeled the SEC homer. I do think it's funny when the announcement came. A lot of Texas media, a lot of Texas fans were chanting that they're part of the SEC now. I think that that's hilarious. But listen, I – Tend to Joe. Um, I'm very hot takeish at times, but I like to present facts with those takes. Okay. Um, I will start off this one by saying I think it's a good move for Texas and Oklahoma to come to the SEC for multitude of reasons. You're going to get paid a lot more money, roughly about thirty to twenty-five to thirty million dollars more a year in TV revenue coming into the SEC. I also think that it's a good move that this is happening a year sooner because the Big 12 gets $100 million that they can distribute to the teams. You weren't going to get paid anything when they left in 2025. Now you actually get something of value for Texas and Oklahoma leaving. Here's the problem, though, that I have, Joe. I don't think Texas understands nor Oklahoma truly understands what they're getting themselves into from a football perspective. Baseball, foot basketball, okay. Right, right. They have been very consistent in what they do. But when you come into the SEC to play football, you will start to have issues. Here's the reason why. Joe, since 2018, the University of Texas has averaged the fifth best class in the country. Okay? Per 247, they've had the fifth best recruiting class in the country since 2018. Okay. Did you know that the other four teams in the top in the top five have either gone to the playoffs, won their conference, won their division, or won a national championship? The only team that has had consistent top five classes that has not won, won anything worth a damn 
is Texas mm-hmm. while being in the Big 12. Now I'm supposed to just say, oh, my God, Steve Sarkeesian's in the building. Quinn, you were shaved the mullet. And everything's <laughs> supposed to be okay. It's not okay, Joe. They got to get better in a lot of specific areas. I will give you the floor, and I will tell you those areas later, but don't think you can waltz in here, do the salsa, do the waltz, whatever, and think that you're going to be worth a damn. Who who are the other four teams? Let me guess. It was Alabama, Georgia. Yes. yes. Ohio State? Yes. And who's the fourth one? LSU. Okay. Okay. I was just curious on that. I was going to – They are the I, only – they are the only team to not go to a playoff, okay, and win a national title – and or win a national title in that time span. Georgia's won two. Alabama's won one. LSU's won one. Ohio State made the playoff. So my point being, do you think it gets any easier? I don't think it gets easier, but here is where, and I said this to you before we we went live. I think that that context is certainly important, but I don't think this is really a circumstance where looking back at the history of things is going to help us truly predict the future for Texas and for Oklahoma. So glad you brought that up. I, I think you can agree. Like that playing on a full, you know, full season of games, who you play against playing in difficult matchups throughout the season helps you prepare for your most important matchups by the end of the year. How do you stand up to adversity? How do you match up with certain teams? Those situations prepare you for the end of the season. I argue that them playing at a lower level of competition, them playing in the big 12 was not properly preparing them for these end of season stretches of playing in the playoff playing in big bowl games and i also think that that lower level of competition they were brought down to playing at that lower level of competition they were in a bad conference they are now stepping into a situation where the lights are much brighter it is going to be a much more difficult battle on a week-to-week basis i look at a a team like texas a&m who has a good history of, of a program who most recently one of the more recent teams to make the transition from the big 12 to the sec and they have been competitive and they're not as storied of a of a football program as texas is so i think that texas and oklahoma both with really strong histories really strong success maybe have not gotten back to that national championship capability in in recent years have the capability of doing it they've got the boosters they've got the money they've got the infrastructure more than a lot of back-end sec teams do then then make that same argument for oklahoma I am. I, I think that that might make that argument. It. But they're winning it. And they're taking teams, and you can make the same you're under your analogy. Yes. You could take that same analogy and apply it for to Ohio State, which we just saw took Georgia and made that game against Georgia the toughest game that they had played all season. Yeah. yeah. I don't I don't agree with that. Here's why. Okay. Because they were 30 – so Steve Sarkeesian is supposed to – and look, we're, I'm going to get to Oklahoma. Like, D- Texas – Yeah, I'm getting, ahead, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. Right. We're going to get to Oklahoma. I don't want to get ahead of myself in saying that. Joe, but Steve Sarkeesian is supposed to be this wizard, okay? They would have been seventh in total offense if you just say – if they were to come into the SEC, let's just say they, you know, make believe land – Let's just use the top offenses in the SEC versus Texas. Mm -hmm. Teams that have better offenses statistically on total offense. Tennessee, Georgia, Ole Miss, Arkansas, LSU. Total offense is better than. Here's the difference where a a team like Texas, until they make small moves, they're going to continue to get beat down. You ready? It's defensively. Teams that were better than Texas last year in total defense – Georgia, here's one team that really blew me away. Kentucky, Missouri, Mississippi State, LSU, and wait for the kicker, Texas A&M. I think that's interesting. It's very interesting when you look into it. So when they say stuff about A&M or or we make jokes about A&M, which we can because they're a cult and they dress and very, they, you know, hey, their little <laughs> things were absolutely ridiculous. Uh-huh. Here's the thing about AM. Their defense was better than Texas. And you can say, 
Oh, well, we only lost a point to Alabama. Well, you go to Alabama this year, and good luck going to Bryant-Denny Stadium against Nick Saban and thinking that you can come out with a one-point loss. It's not going to happen. My uh, thing with, my, it's not going to happen. I don't think it's that unrealistic, though. They, they're starting over a quarterback. Joe, we don't know what that quarterback situation is like. We talked about how how I don't have much start, faith in they, Tommy Reese. Every time Saban has started over with a quarterback, non-conference opponents get their arses beat. I think this is a different non-conference opponent than usual, though. I think that Texas stepping in next year, they're going to be much better than they were last year. They didn't really lose anybody. They're they're losing Bijan, obviously. That's that's an issue, but a running back is replaceable in college football. You've got a, a great quarterback who was dealing with injuries throughout the whole year. You return receivers, some of which who were injured, and you get back your full offensive line. I, I, I'm optimistic so that they can put up a fight in that game. They didn't do anything. Their offensive line didn't do anything? No, I'm talking about team-wise. You continue to talk offensively, but what, as my argument just stated, defensively, they got those cheeks clapped. Up and down the field, they got their arses beat. And if you think that you can come into this league mm-hmm. when teams that ran better than them, you ready for this one? Going back to it. Georgia, Bama, Missouri, Mississippi State, Mississippi State, LSU, Texas A&M. I need some clarification here. When you say that, you know, this argument talking about Texas and how they're going to perform in the SEC, are you specifically talking about how they're going to perform in 2024? Are we having a long-term outlook? It is very difficult for me to look at what they've done since 2018 as just a very small metric and you sit here and try to tell me that this team's going to just waltz in here and start doing things when there's not going to be divisions. Okay. I think that that's and that, where and that goes the same for Oklahoma. Yeah. You can, buddy, you not playing Kansas state and Kansas anymore. You're not playing TCU. You're not, you, your losses aren't going to come Joe against Texas tech, Oklahoma state, TCU and Washington. I can name five teams that are better than them in the SEC right now that would bludgeon the teams that they lost to. I think that that's where we might have a little bit of a disconnect when we're talking about this because I I agree with you where for anyone for both of these teams, Oklahoma and Texas, to make that assumption that they step in right away and they're one of the top teams, that's delusion. That to me is delusion where it's going to be Arch's first year Possibly well, as a I mean, starter, Quinn might come back. You don't know if he's going to have a bad Quinn year. Might, yeah, Quinn might come back. So there's a lot up in the air for Texas. They're going to a lot of these young guys are going to probably be out by then. Oklahoma is also going to be turning the page. That I agree with. They're, they're not going to be finishing at the top of the conference. They're not going to be one of the playoff teams. That's not going to happen. There is going to be growing pains trying to assimilate with competition. Nice dictionary in, word. <laughs> okay. Come on, man. Let me use a big word. <laughs> but my point is, Blake, is that it's going to take time. It's going to take time to get used to it. Where I'm talking about my my thought here and what my argument here is that within a few years, three to five years, once they are they've they've made that transition to the SEC and they have had time to get themselves comfortable, they're not going to be, you know, Kentucky or Missouri where no, it's I don't sometimes think a good disconnect. year. Because, Joe, my point is, and I'm using this okay. from a 2018 to 2020, 2022 metric, how can you how can you say, well, they're going to come in here in three to five years and then they'll be okay, when you can't do it in three to five years in the Big 12? Don't give me that yes. playing better opponents is going to make you better. Because, Joe, the truth is, you know what teams have been playing those same opponents and hadn't gotten better that does have a lot of money? Arkansas, and here's yeah. a big one for you, Florida. Do you really mean to tell me that Florida doesn't have the money and infrastructure? People won't say, well, it's bigger than Texas. I beg to differ. When they're spending $70 million on a baseball facility, don't you dare tell me that they don't have the money and the infrastructure to do things like that. It's just a different beast. I think Oklahoma – again, not to direct this too far away, I think Oklahoma has shown a capability to compete where they've gotten to the playoff. They've gotten their asses kicked in the playoff, but they're a little bit different where 
they don't have Lincoln Riley anymore. Texas to me is, it's hard for me to look at the past decade for Texas and to hold them accountable for that because, or not, not so much hold accountable. It's not the right word for me to assume that the results over the past decade are going to carry over into the next decade in the 2020s, because they were transitioning from uh, uh, multiple coaching regimes from coming off of national championship seasons and Vince Young and all that. They were really, really freaking good. And then they were down for multiple years under Charlie Strong uh, and under Tom Herman. For how bad they were during those years and how poorly coached they were and how clearly there was a lack of institutional control, it is going to take time for them to fix all that. We saw all the crap that they dealt with with the freaking – with the stripper and the monkey is enough proof that there <laughs> the was no assassin. The pole assassin. assassin. There was no institutional control. So to try and recover <laughs> from that is going to take multiple years. That's where, like, it, I give Sark a little bit of benefit of the doubt. And at the very least, at the very least, if Sark is not the guy and they do bad next year, he's going to get fired. And an, a Texas team entering oh. the SEC, wait, a Texas team entering the SEC with Arch Manning, possibly Quinn Ewers. All of that stuff, they're going to be a, a prize destination for any top coach. Absolutely. All right, I want to get to Oklahoma, but you, okay. you brought up a point. I I I don't agree with any any of that really. I think that you have to I think that you have to look at past history. Okay. Because but Joe, what else am I supposed to go off of? Am I am I supposed to am I supposed to get a bowl and get Tinkerbell to put some fairy dust in there and no. start wheeling it around and saying poof they're gonna be okay? But you know what? But you know what though, Joe? Mm. We've seen teams not just in the SEC but around the country that have gone through periods and similarities and uh, that really Texas has gone through themselves. I can name a few. LSU fired Ed Orgeron after two years of winning the national championship. They just won the West. Mm-hmm. USC hires Lincoln Riley. They are they're one literally one play away from winning the Pac-12. We saw Mark Rick, who won a crap ton of games at Georgia, get fired or get let go. And then here comes Kirby Smart and their yeah. national title winners. My, my, my point is, though, is that we've seen teams throughout this span literally hire coaches, multiple coaches for some of these programs that have brought them back to relevancy. Yeah, but I would, I I totally agree with that. We could pull examples where they were down, they made a bad coaching hire and then they recovered. But like, I actually, I think USC is a really good parallel here where USC had Sark the first time when he was a drunk and then they went to Clay Hilton, who was a buffoon. And it was, it was a decade since they were relevant. Notre Dame was clapping their cheeks uh, every single year. And that was the most important game. They weren't relevant in the PAC 12 for the past decade. But here would, be my, here would be my question. Here would be my yeah. question to you then. And, yeah. and then we'll go to Oklahoma. Okay. How am I supposed to take them seriously when they can't win the Big 12 and coaches like Brian Kelly and and Lincoln Riley go to their their programs and do what they do in year one? Because those guys, those guys have proven track records at massive, massive programs, and they were pulled away and incentivized to leave with massive contracts. That's and, and a lot of control. So you think that that of those three coaches, you would pick Sark last in that tiers, which uh, is what yeah, I'm hearing. He's, he has less okay. head coaching experience, and the two instances, or he was really good at Washington, and we all know what happened at USC where he was drunk and everything spiraled out of control for him as a head coach. I think if if Sark doesn't work out, I know that Texas is as good of a brand that they can poach somebody just like USC and just like LSU did. Chris I, H says, "Cue the Lane Kiffin rumors to Texas." I, certainly possible. I, I, I goes in the portal. I would argue. Well, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. If if Lane Kiffin gets the phone call, Arch Manning you, Arch Manning goes in the portal. Separate, forget Arch Manning though. Would you rather stay if you're Lane Kiffin at Old Miss or go to Texas? I would argue that there's a higher ceiling for success. If we were talking about him going to Auburn, I think there's a higher ceiling for success well, for a Texas team in the SEC. Well, you remember a couple episodes ago, we made that comparison. Remember wins and losses inside of the conference, 
and I did like the blind resume. Uh, I remember that. Okay. And Ole Miss really and truthfully was the same win loss record. I, I mean, then Texas was, and, and then I got all these Texas fans DMing me, sending the AYS show text messages saying, Hey, big titties. That's not, <laughs> what, you know, and I'm like, Bro, you play one extra conference game, but you're playing Kansas. Ole Miss, their games that they play, as an example, okay, like they're playing Louisville. Okay, playing Louisville historically in that 10-year span, even playing Memphis. Like they've played Memphis a lot of times to start the season. Memphis went to the Cotton Bowl, and then their coach goes to Florida State. I mean, those were better programs. So spare me that, you know, spare me those kinds of things. I just think for Texas, when I look at them and I see what they're doing in the Big 12, Joe, I, it's it, look, there's going to be 16 teams in the league. I could see them at best middle pack to worse than that for the first maybe. And t- until, until, like you mentioned, they hire a coach that is of the prestige of a Lincoln Riley or someone else because, Joe, when you – and we talked about this earlier, and I told you that when we start getting deep yeah. into the show that this would come back up, and here we are. The timetable is completely different now than just the first three years in a program when you have coaches like Sonny Dykes. Hey, now, could Sonny, could Texas pull Sonny Dykes? You've brought that comparison yes. up before. Yes. But when you have Sonny Dykes, brother, you got a team in TCU with Sonny Dykes going to a national championship in year one. Brian Kelly went in the West in the SEC. And then you got Lincoln Riley doing what he's doing in the pack. That makes Texas look weak. You cannot convince me otherwise. I I don't disagree that Sark might not be the guy. I I think that we've already had two years. And while I I don't think anyone wants to admit it, when you kind of hear and you look at these articles for early hot seats, I think Sark should be on those those lists. I really do because if the and it requires, I think, a, a larger degree of uh, of of a drop off. Like they need to finish at or worse than they did last year for him to legitimately be brought up in that conversation. I don't do you, do we? He's not under. He doesn't have a long term contract, right? His his contract I mean, I, is I, maybe. I'm sure it's like four or five years at best. Yeah, so, so he's he's easy to well, get rid not, of after I'm next year. Texas could buy him out any given second, right? And I don't think his contract's that big. I also, again, I think that there is. I would not be shocked if he's not on the hot seat by the end of next season, or he's gone by the end of next season. He needs to build on what happened last year and have momentum going into 2024. And I'm sure that that is the approach. And the belief of the Texas Athletic Department. That has to be the thought of if Sark is not carrying momentum into the SEC and we're coming off of a, uh, what were they, nine and four season? That's not enough. I think they were, if I'm not mistaken, they were eight and five. Eight and five. Sorry, you're, you are correct. They were, they were eight yeah, and four going into the whole game. Bama, Texas Tech in double overtime, Oklahoma State, TCU, and Washington. Yes, that is that is correct. So for them to replicate that next year and then head into the SEC to lose your bowl game, that's not momentum. That's absolutely not momentum. You need to start from scratch and then go for that big name. If they do improve on it, then there's signs for optimism potentially. But I do believe that that needs to be discussed where Sark should be on the hot seat if things are not turned around and they're not trending in the right direction. Last comment from me on Texas tonight. If the only reason they win the Big 12 exiting, it's because Quinn Ewers pulled a Stetson Bennett and we call him Quintav- Quintavious. Oh, uh, wait, 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 We can we can't compare Stetson Bennett if, physical if, traits if and Quinn Ewers is physical traits. He was the number one. Yeah, you know what? Class. You know what? You're right. We can't. You know why? Because Stetson Bennett didn't get hurt. And yeah. Stetson Bennett constantly delivers. Everybody wants to say Quinn Ewers this, Quinn Ewers that. Uh, and if you want to compare him to Stetson Bennett, you better back that thing up like it's from the 99 to the 2000s. I, I, I hold would, on, hold on for a minute. And you can, you better not tell me that Quinn Ewers is on the same trajectory as Stetson Stoquavius Bennett. If Stetson hits his his ceiling, if Stetson hits his potential, or I think even he hit three, his ceiling. <laughs> I mean, no. I mean, he's 66 years old. I mean, he's got AARP. Oh, sorry, sorry not Stetson Bennett. Uh, Quinn Ewers. Sorry. Oh, okay, okay. If Quinn, I misspoke. If Quinn Ewers hits his ceiling, 
he's he's like potential to have like a Joe Burrow type season. He's that freaking good. A Patrick Mahomes statistical type season. Dude, that's he was the number one recruit in his class. He's one of the highest graded recruits of all time. Matt Leinert, good. Carson Palmer, good. Quinn Ewers is Calm down. Good. Dude, if he hits his potential, that's the that is the key First thing off, that needs to be established. Don't there. ever put mullet head Quinn Ewers in the same sentence with God himself, Wait. Joe Burrow. Wait. Don't do it with Wait. your Patrick Mahomes jersey on. What were what were people's thoughts on, on Joe Burrow after his first full starting season? We called season? him daddy. After his first full starting season at LSU? No. I think people were pretty lukewarm on him. No, they're not, no, no, not lukewarm. They were more than lukewarm. You know why? Because at the end of the season, he completely turned it on and had like four games straight of over 300 yards passing and, and yeah. like three games with over three touchdowns. So, I, I mean, no, I, I don't think they were lukewarm on him. I think that they just knew that they needed to adapt offensively. Right. But it, it was not as big of a – it's a massive lead. But don't say that he – Quinn Ewers has got to accumulate 65 touchdowns to touch Burrow. I do agree. Like, I'm not to, – to clarify and to, to provide additional context here, I'm not saying that he's already there. But his no. physical his physical tools – He's not the best quarterback in his own conference. No, I, I don't disagree with that. But his physical tools, if he has a really good offseason, he takes that next step, he's 100% healthy. Quinn has the potential. If he does, it's because he shaved a mullet and went like – All I'm saying. Let's get to Oklahoma really quick. Yes, I know yes, that sorry. you're – you're feigning to talk about Notre Dame. Um, I think Oklahoma bodes better, if I'm being honest. I, I think Oklahoma's system has been better at recruiting need, not stars. Like Oklahoma, for an example, has come into the Southeast and taken three-star offensive linemen that are now in the league. Mm -hmm. They have just done a really good job at recruiting now. Here's the here's the worry that I have for Oklahoma, which is kind of the polar opposite of Texas. I do worry about them recruiting because I think people need to understand the SEC was going into Texas and SEC SEC teams were going into Texas before Texas A&M started or and Missouri came into the league in 2012. Teams that really started in the SEC really started recruiting Texas. Go look at the numbers when those teams entered. Mm -hmm. Oklahoma better be careful, and they better be a Notre Dame type of scenario where you get as many local kids as you can, Texas kids. They're going to have to recruit nationally. Now, you're going to have to go after the Peyton Bowens. You're going to have to get those type of dudes to be able to compete in this league. I kind of, even though they went 6-6 six and six in year one under Brent Venables, I'm a Jeff Lebby fan. I think that they kind of will be okay. I think that they could shock some people a little bit early if they can get some things rolling. I think Jeff Lebby is a witch. As a play caller, he comes from the hypo and Lane Kiffin train. I think once they get things going, uh, who's the who is the uh, uh, Zach? What was it? Arnold? What was the kid's first Jackson name? Jackson Arnold. The, uh, the Jackson one Arnold. If yeah, he's supposed to be. He's supposed to be really, really good. And, well, and some people not... think that he's going to come in and compete and really yeah. compete for the starting job against uh, Gabriel. I think that they can do some things. Now, they got to get some better pieces. They got really hammered in the transfer portal. I think that, look, and they had the third, I think, third or fourth, fifth overall class this past season. A lot of that coming from the transfer portal, guys that can play right now. I think that they, I actually believe it or not, I think that they have a better transition into the SEC than Texas does. Your thoughts? Yeah, and we're talking immediately, correct? Like we're, we're talking, talking about immediately. Yeah, well, and I mean, Joe, we got to be careful with talking more than three or four years coming into the league because so yeah. much changes. Yeah, right? like, I, I don't think about when I look in the future personally. I don't look outside longer than five years, and, yes. and that, and I rarely look at that. I'm talking about a three year max. Joe, look what's changed in three years so much. Okay, yeah. yeah. COVID, the way you recruit. I talked to an SEC. I talked to an SEC position coach today, today, and and he Facetimed me, and I'm like, "What you doing, man?" He goes, "Bro, we don't talk on the phone no more. I'm trying to talk to 16, 17, 18 year old kids." <laughs> it, it's so wild how far it's come. So that's why I don't personally look at it that far out. I just can't. I can't do it. 
I mean, and this is like total hyperbole, but it like heck, Alabama could just randomly become an independent in five years. That's obviously not going to happen, but that's to your point. Anything can change in the SEC in conference realignment. Heck, we could have a merger between the Big Ten and the SEC by the time well, uh, five and, years and from now. The, so it's hard. But, playoff, Joe. Like we, yeah, totally. we have no idea what what if the 12th seed won the playoff. Yeah, it's it's anything can happen at this point. Anything can happen anything. Anything. now that the, the now that like a Tennessee could have been the twelfth seed or or something along those lines. Well, it was Wa- Washington would have been the twelfth seed. Okay, yeah. yeah. Now they <laughs> listen. Washington's not going to Athens and beating Georgia, but if let's just say hypothetically Georgia would have slipped up one of the games. Right. And Michigan goes into number one. You trying to tell me that Washington couldn't beat uh I mean Washington couldn't beat Michigan? Because I think they could have. Yeah, there's there's a lot of potential for things to happen here. And look, to your point about Oklahoma, I'm I'm not as bullish as you are. I, I am this is still a wait and see situation because last year I, I'm gonna be a defender of Oklahoma here, dealing with what they dealt with, losing your head coach that everyone assumed is gonna be the face of your program. For decades, for him to just dip like that, pull your best player, and then also pull multiple other really highly talented recruits with him to USC, that's devastating. And there's going to be a lot of doubt cast in the locker room. Trying to rally a team after that for Brent Venables is a difficult task. I don't know, though, for certain if he is the long-term solution because he's never really been a head coach before. This was his first full year, but I will say, for how competitive that Oklahoma-Florida State game was, that bowl game, I think that's promising for how good Florida State was last year considering they beat LSU at the beginning of the season. So I think that there is a lot of promise. There's a lot better outlook for next year, frankly, for Oklahoma, especially considering that I think Dylan Gabriel is the much more uh, experienced player and has already been around the block, and he's a much older player. The transfer portal moves certainly help them. However, I don't know if if I can sit here and say that based on the way that they have recruited, it's been promising. I, I don't know if I can sit here and say and immediately that they're going to have an impact. I, I don't think that there's enough evidence at all now that we're under Brent Venables and the previous guy is gone in in Lincoln Riley. I, I, I think it's too big of a question mark. I can't make a decision on either thing, which is, I know, anticlimactic when we're trying to sit here and have takes on this show. There's just not enough evidence. There's not. Anything can happen, like we just talked about. There, they could have a complete ice plant it's next year. So wild that you say that there's no evidence, and they have one bad season, one, like one, yeah, bad season. Yes, and Texas has had twenty straight. Damn Look, that, that was a completely different head coach who was leading. There them, was though. multiple multiple head, head coaches. coaches. Yes, Bob Stoops my, and my point, that's Lincoln my Riley. point, though. That's my point. One brother. They're not far off in as many kind of situations that they've had. The only thing separating Texas and Oklahoma is Texas has a home base for in-state recruiting where Oklahoma does not. And yeah. Oklahoma, for what it for, for to their credit, has been spanking that arse all the live long day. They but have. Ju- but just as just as Texas has had minimal starts bad next year, his ass is out. Yeah, yeah. But so here's my point, though, and, and it goes in line with that, is just as Texas has had really bad luck over the past decade and they have not been able to right the ship whatsoever, they're transitioning in, in into a second year for Brent Venables going 6-6 six and six, where next year could, this could be the just a, a stepping stone for another coach. They could then go on their own slippery slope of – bouncing between head coaches and then going into the SEC with an uncertain coaching situation could lead to long-term failure. It is not a conference you want to step into with question marks. That's what I, that's where I'm getting at here is that trying to make that transition and how, uh, how much it really impacted the team. As we saw the amount of guys that left in the transfer portal. I, I just don't know if they're, again, that's my point here is I can't sit here and have confidence that the ship is being righted by Brent Venables. I need another season before I can say that. At least Sark has stepped up and had a total turnaround from his first year. The second year was a lot better. And he got the he got Arch Manning and a number of other really good recruits. You don't think that's enough? I, I that's more that is more proof to the be optimistic. Arnold kid is better than Arch right now. Uh no, not right at this moment. I disagree. Yes, he is. 
Yes, he is. Arch I've was seen... Arch was graded where he was because he is the he's not the most talented. He doesn't have the highest ceiling. Dante Moore and Nico I and Malavea have higher ceilings, but Arch is the most ready out of any of those kids. No, to step he's in and start not. Right away. Yes, no, absolutely. He... No, have you seen him play in person? I haven't seen him play in person, but I hey, think he... hey, hey, hold on. Raise your hand if you have. Okay. Who who do you think Bull is more? Shit. <laughs> Bullshit. Who do you think that is more ready is to play not, than him, though? The Arnold kids bet is more ready. <sighs> Let me tell you, brother, okay. he strains throwing bubble screens. Strain. Uh, uh, I don't know if I agree on Joe, that. I've been behind that him. Bad. Joe, Joe, I've been behind him okay. in warm-ups. Okay. Literally. Okay. And him take a snap throw and go uh, and the ball's just ducking its ass down there so you don't think he has the arm strength no not right now not okay. right now can that he with. can he yes he throws one of the best pretty d balls i've ever seen he gets a lot of arch on there no puns intended he, he's good at throwing the ball no. down the field buddy he played with a program and a classification that, would, excuse my French, was ass. I'm talking about straight-up toilet water. They were so bad. You can, Brother, I've seen the kid play in person. I've seen his warm-ups. He's not a big kid. I'm taller than him, and they say he's 6'4". 6'4", my left ass cheek. That kid's not 6'4". I'm taller than his ass. Okay. Horse manure. I don't disagree with that. I think physically there's development that needs to come into play. And I, I certainly agree that Jackson Arnold is physically a more gifted player, just like, again, Nico Ayamalavea for Tennessee, Dante Moore. A lot of these guys are physically more gifted than Arch Manning. But I, in terms of uh, an understanding and a feel for the game, I think Arch shows a lot of potential. And that's where I'm saying his decision-making is going to be great because he's he comes from a football family and you see that come up in his highlights and his in his tape, I think there's a lot of possibility that he can step in and start right away. I don't, I, I can get where you're if coming that from. That kid ain't starting right away. If if that kid is starting at Texas next year, they're they not. They've got looking. problems. But by the they time he's a redshirt freshman, brother, I don't think he's going to be the second quarterback. By the time he's a redshirt freshman or next no, year? No, by next year. Okay. I, I, I mean, listen, buddy, listen. Okay. Listen to your buddy. Okay, I ain't gonna steer you wrong. Ever here, here, the question that I ultimately have, okay, is it if he was Art Smith, what would you say? I think I'd be less high on him. Who's the Smith though? What's the? Sorry, yeah. I'm just Smith is the most commonly last common. Use I, I know I'm, jo I'm joking. <laughs> so I, I, what if his last name was Delahone? Okay, it would be so much different. You're giving him credit. Where look, he can't help who he's born to. He can't like he yeah. can't help all of that. I agree. Okay, but with that being said, he does gain that knowledge that maybe other people won't. He could pick up the phone and call two, you can say Eli Manning's not, he will be, two Hall of Fame quarterbacks, really three if he needed to, and his grandpappy, he's going to have that experience when it comes to on the clipboard. Yes. He's not ready. He's okay. not ready. I think that is a, a separate... It's more than fair. It's it's just... It, I know, I, I think that you it's a have fair to debate. 25 pounds before September. Yes. Brother, if, I, he's one, if he's 180 pounds... He's not ready to play. He's not ready to play. No. I don't think what that that's game. not a fair argument. I, I I think that that one we can sit here and definitely have a, a a coherent conversation. To get back to the point with Oklahoma, though, I just I don't I don't know how we can sit here and have a, a ton of faith with with this being Brent Venables' second season as a head coach. He will be in his third season as a head coach ever, leading Oklahoma into the SEC. I think that's just a really tough task. I, I think Sark at least. If things look promising next year, I would be far more optimistic. We're gonna find out when Texas goes to Brian Denny, and then I, you can. Get, that's a great point. That's a great point. That will be the most telling really test. See how 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 battle tested that they're gonna be. If they go, I will eat my words. If they can go in there and God forbid pull out a victory, 
Fine then. I, I'll eat my words. They're not going to do it. Would you All be right. willing to bet a Longhorn ass hat on uh, on on that game? <laughs> no, because the last time I did that, we almost got tattooed. <laughs> so I'm not. I'm not doing that. Uh, uh, and my wife, you know, look, man, I got two kids. I, I don't need to be getting ass tats when I'm damn near 40 years old. I mean, I'm fair. 30, but anyway, um, let's transition right quickly. Let's talk about Notre Dame now. If you missed it, there's been some front runners. I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. It's your team. Oh, my fighting Irish. But we're not going to agree on this one either, I don't think. Um, maybe we will a little bit more. Maybe we will just yeah. a little bit more. Uh, we'll see. But what's going on, on in the uh, in Indiana? Well, it seems like they're narrowing the list uh, a little bit here, and there's, there's a bunch of names that have been brought up. Colin Klein from Kansas State. But – I think this is more than done. I think that they've already made their decision. Which, I mean, heck, which is who? Which is who? Andy Ludwig, who's the Utah offensive coordinator. I, I again, they're not doing a very good job of hiding it because he was spotted at a Notre Dame hockey game with Marcus Freeman and company watching the game, which is kind of like a random thing to go do when you're trying to get to know somebody. It just seems very, you know, buddy buddy that they're just hanging out and they're getting to know him. Uh, I think that that's pretty good proof that they're they're rocking with Andy Ludwig. My thoughts on him, though, I think this is a great hire. I, I'm very optimistic and admittedly did not know a whole lot about him because it's Utah coming into this. Doing my research, uh, I, uh, getting myself acquainted to his background, I, I think this is the right move. He's 58 years old. You are getting experience in this coaching staff that, frankly, lacked experience. We know that Tommy Rees and Marcus Freeman – you didn't have a lot of guys that have been around the block. Instead, Andy Ludwig steps in being an offensive coordinator at multiple reputable programs, including Wisconsin, Oregon, Utah previously, Vanderbilt. Now he might take on this Notre Dame job, and he comes in after being the 11th-ranked offense in the country in 2022 and the 14th-ranked offense in 2021. They were 52nd in 2020, uh, and I don't really count that because that was a COVID year. Knowing the disparity in talent at Utah, compared to some other programs in the country, I think that the guy's a great coach. There is a, a huge ceiling for this. The fact that Dalton Kincaid, who's a, a decent athlete, is being considered as one of the top tight ends in this class for the 2023 NFL Draft, I give a lot of credit to Andy Ludwig for setting him up for that. He is a great coach, and I think that this is the right hire. As we talked about, they need to go and, and coerce a, a bigger-name guy at a bigger-name program to come and take this job, and I think that he's a name we didn't consider. He's definitely a name that we didn't consider. Now, I wrote notes down. Here's my notes. You ready for them? Highly uses the tight end on counterplay action under center. Under yes. center a lot, under center action. This is very Notre Dame-esque. Yes. Okay, it's a very Notre Dame type of fit. So today, Joe, I went and watched when, you know, we, we had discussed what we were going to talk about, and we brought up uh, Ludwig. So I went and watched both USC games. And Florida. Now, you hate when I always talk about Florida and Utah. <laughs> just spare me on this yeah, one. Yeah. I thought that he did some good things in calling plays. I thought that he just got he, – he tried to out-scheme Billy Napier and company, and it backfired on him. Now, they were – it was 29-26 late in that game, and they were going down the score, and Cam Rising threw a pick to end that game. It's very Notre Dame-like. Under center, you know, zone read. But I told you the other day, so I'm, I'm going to – just prepare you for this. I I walked away just thinking, though, although I think it's a very good fit, he feels very predictable, okay? A lot of plays, if you go down and chart, so these were the first 17 first and down, first down and 10 plays that I charted. You ready? All shotgun, all, you could call it either trips or whatever it may be, trips with a tight end, all of them pass plays. All of them. Once they got past the first down and didn't throw the ball, they ran the ball. They were very predictable what I saw. Now, let me ask you this. I don't think it's a bad hire, but I thought Marcus – the only thing is I thought Marcus Freeman would bring in a little bit more newer guy. You know, like a, a guy that has newer principles. And I, I get yeah. maybe why he doesn't. But man, is it like is what? It, let me ask you this question. I, let me, hold on. Let me just ask you this: 
is when Brian Kelly doing the same kind of type of offense and now Marcus Freeman's doing a lot of the same thing and trying to bring in Ludwig, does that tell you maybe they don't feel like they can get weapons on the outside? Like, what does it tell you? I I don't know if it tells me that there's a, a concern for the lack of ability to get weapons. I mean, they, they've actually, this past year was probably one of their better recruiting classes for just athletes, you know, receivers, running backs. Um, I think that it, there's there's a lot more optimism for them at the receiver position. But as I get where you're coming from. And that's why I was excited when I heard Colin Klein was somebody who was brought up in these articles where you see um, potential candidates, where really fun player in college, first of all. But Kansas State was was really freaking uh, exciting this past year. The, the way that they used Deuce Vaughn and they got him in space was very creative, very, very creative. And we, we lauded Garrett Riley for what he did at TCU. And I think Garrett, uh, Colin Klein didn't get enough credit. But at the same time, I know that that Ludwig might have a little bit more of this pro-style approach. I don't know if it's outdated or more so just very pro-style where a heavy emphasis on getting the ball to the tight end. Dalton Kincaid had a fantastic very, season. Very, very focused on getting the ball yes. to the tight ends. like. Joe, a little bit – I hate to say this because – Almost a little too much. Almost a little too much, bud. Like, I mean, listen, again – Well, to be fair, they kind of had to. Don Kincaid was far and away their best I forget receiver. the white dude, though. They had a white dude, though, that was absolutely slain dudes. I forget who it was. Was it but this past year or the year before? It was this past year. Like, he was catching everything against Florida. Because the I year was, before, they had that guy who was returning kicks for the Eagles, and I'm blanking on his name. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot he went to Utah. By the way, he had a big kick punt return last yeah, night. Yeah, he's a good player. He's a good player. I, I just – I think that where I see more optimism here is that the recent past couple of years, despite maybe calling a little bit of an archaic offense, if, if not, archaic's not the word to use because I know that that's going to get used against me, an older school offense, I, despite that, where I'm excited is the trend going forward over the past couple of years. But the big thing is – experience i want an older guy to call the offense i think that where we ran into problems is you've got hot-headed tommy reese screaming his head off in the booth and he's a young guy and you got marcus freeman who's a little more a little more calm and reserved on the sideline who's younger uh i i think that when you've got too many young bodies in a coaching staff there's nobody that you can turn to and say like hey have you been in a situation like this before what do we do It's hard to disagree with that, Joe. It, it, so it's hard to not only it's it not hard to disagree with you there. I just don't like I just don't know for look, I told you this last week. Notre Dame was gonna struggle with offensive line play. Now who left? Henry. Henry he's, yeah. Okay, I told you that last week. Now, let me tell you something. If there's one thing that I know better than anybody – I'm going to say anybody. But if there's one thing that I know, it's offensive line. Coaches talk. We're all in the same fraternity. And I told you last week that there was something coming. I could smell it. It was brewing. Don't be surprised if he – you know. we'll we'll see where we're Are you implying that he's going to LSU? I don't. I cannot confirm nor I cannot deny. But I did tell you that last week, and I warned you that it was about to happen. When did, I don't know if you told me about that. Oh, I go back and listen. Go back and listen. When we talked about Notre Dame, and you said Joe Brady, Mister Blake, and I said, "Well, you're about to have offensive line issues." Go back and listen to it. Oh, you. But you didn't mention that that he stand was. was uh, leaving. I said Hims is leaving. Remember, I said Hims is leaving. And you were like, what? That must have snuck past me. That must have completely snuck past Completely snuck past you. But go Uh, back and listen. Go to the Rafino and Joe show and subscribe. They they might have issues along the offensive line that we're not talking about. And and in that style of offense, you have to have dominating O-line play to succeed. Ask Georgia. They run the same thing. Well, I'm curious to see who they they hire. And there is a possibility where – it might be an internal promotion. And I, I believe Chris Watt is a former offensive lineman that's on the coaching staff. That's correct. That might be the promotion and the move that they go with. And he was coached by Keystand. So we might be not fine, but I don't think it might be that, that significant of a drop-off. Look, there, there's a history of Notre Dame just being able to recruit talent at the position. So I don't think that there's going to be this significant okay. 
Oh, what? All right. Does LSU have a? Yeah, they do. An but, offensive but line coach. They do, but money talks and BS walks, buddy. So they're going to boot. Who's the current offensive line coach at LSU? Brad Davis, and they're not firing him. So they're going to move him? No. They're going to hire he stand as an advisor? Maybe. I hate this so much. This is so infuriating. So infuriating that that. Tell me I, why he left. And I will tell you that LSU's prepared to make him the highest paid analyst in the country. We're talking about millions and millions from yeah, what I, uh, I'm, I know. I absolutely believe you. I absolutely believe uh, that you. That's gonna you thought Brian Kelly wasn't bringing him, Daddy. Yeah, I was actually kind of surprised that he he ended up sticking around as long as he did. That's I don't. Oh let, let me just say this because there's LSU people in here, okay? And Brian and and Ryan says I remember hims. Um, let me just say this. I don't think I don't know if that's going to happen. But just understand, I know that conversations are being had. Okay. okay. We'll see what um, happens. And I can't wait to, to get upset on the show over that. <laughs> well, don't tell, don't say that I didn't warn you. Okay. But I just, I think that, and look, it goes back to the part though, Joe, that we talked about in Notre Dame, you got to spend the money. Now, here was the funniest thing. And you're going to hate me for saying this. I told you that Joe Brady wasn't leaving. Yes. Okay. Come on. Like, but we got to yeah. stop. Look, this is not just a Notre Dame thing. Yeah, he's we, been brought up for everything. We got to stop. Oregon, Miami, Georgia, Todd Munkin leaves. And I'm like, Todd Munkin just signed an extension. Why are y'all saying Joe Brady's going? And it's a completely different style and philosophy of offense. Like, why would you even say something like that? Nevertheless, just and just to LSU fans, I'm not saying this is happening. But I just find it very odd that he's leaving now. No, so all on to retire. All this, yeah, okay, retire these nuts. I don't believe. <laughs> uh, but one thing though, I just want to add uh, to that, Blake. And as somebody who uh, is new to having sourcing, uh, I will say that after you and I had a long conversation about it, and you kind of keyed me in on on that situation. Uh, it, it's pretty apparent the people who bring up the Joe Brady name are the ones who have no information and are just purely speculating. Because I literally did well, that. I, that Joe, I literally did that. I personally did that. I speculated. Well, people that don't know him, okay? Look, okay, Joe Brady, Joe Brady is closer to our age than he is Bruce Feldman and all these other dudes. So mm -hmm. me and him going, me me and my wife going to the same bar on a on a Friday night in the off season. Who, where, what? I'm not saying Joe Brady went to bars, but bar in Louisiana is different to what bar, people think a bar is. Like a bar in Louisiana, nine times out of ten, you're going there to dine, and then you have a drink with your meal. Okay, right. It, completely different scenario. Who do you think was sitting across the table? And I'm like, hey, Joey. How how Burrow looking? <laughs> okay, I'm just telling you that when you talk to Joe Brady, he don't like college, man. He just doesn't, and I don't blame him. I, I don't blame him when you're trying to recruit Caleb Williams, and he goes, "Yeah, coach, I'm coming." And then seven minutes later, he's landing in Oklahoma. It's not fun to recruit. No, no, especially in the NIL area. So I don't, I absolutely don't blame him. And frankly, I think a lot of guys will say there's less agree that there's less pressure in the NFL unless you're a head coach. There certainly is. He's him. He's him. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll talk about as we continue to do the show, I mean, because you've been traveling all over the place. I'm just sitting here, you know, like a bump on the log. You know, I'm trying. I, I'm back. I'm back. I, I have determined that the amount of trips that I the, – the, they weren't trips. They were work trips, first of all. I apparently first was on off, a, a white off, girl. First off, you going to Mobile a work trip. What, okay? dude, I, I, was, I was grinding film the whole time, man. What are we talking about here? I was thing that we grind around here – never mind. Oh, my God. I slept four. I slept four hours at night, man. I was trying. To <laughs> oh, it was fun. I had fun. I had fun, but it's and then come talk to me. That's true. I'm. Not, I don't know what that's like. Well, I'm not going to be able to do that in uh, when I have kids in in ten years. Uh you probably will. You'll just make an excuse that you got to go to work, and then probably you'll get punched in the face. All right. <laughs>
Go over to AYS. LSU fans, we're going live in two minutes. So it'll be fun. Maybe we'll talk about Henry there. Who knows? We'll see. All right. Later, guys. Y'all have a good day. Peace out, Girl Scouts. We'll see maybe Wednesday. Yeah, we might go sooner than that. Let's let's talk. Oh, uh, I can't go tomorrow. Okay, we'll go. We're Valentine's gonna go Wednesday. Day? Valentine's oh, you're right. Actually, you're 100 percent right. Yeah, Never mind. yeah, buddy. We're not we're getting not us in trouble tomorrow. Yeah, I'm All not right. getting myself in trouble. All right, well, <laughs> Wednesday. <laughs> Later.